Hey there, everyone. From beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses. No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers while watching your videos to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Connexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at connexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Chef Chris Starkus. In 2019, Colorado Biz Magazine named Chef Chris one of Denver's most influential young professionals. As a journeyman beekeeper and farmer, Chef curated a rooftop apiary and garden at the Nines Hotel in Portland, Oregon, and then developed another apiary program at the Oxford Hotel in Denver, Colorado. In 2017, Chef opened Urban Farm in Denver as executive chef. He's currently head of culinary at Warren Tech, teaching the next generation of hospitality pros. Sustainability is also a big passion of chefs, and we'll touch on that and more in today's episode with Chef Chris Starkus. So, here's Chef. I was just looking on, uh, right before we got on, on Instagram, the uh, Union, one of the restaurants up here in town, uh, did a post on their their dishwasher, Anibal, this guy Anibal, how great he was. I just said, the kings and queens of the restaurant business. Without them, we are dead in the water. Great that they shouted them out. So how is life in general these days for you? Okay, family's healthy, everybody, everybody good? Yeah, we're doing great. You know, we, uh, you know, we're trying to stay healthy and obviously doing our best with, with everything going on. The kids, so I, I have two kids that are back in uh, elementary school. So they just came back and they're in full time, like, you know, uh, in person for four days a week, which is great, you know? So it's like, I think it's a combination, obviously it's social and of course doing remote and whatnot. We're hanging in there. And same thing with the kids I have here at, at Warren Tech as well. We are basically in person all year on a cohort system, hybrid system. I'm teaching culinary here um, as the head culinary instructor. And basically, you know, it's the only way that you can teach culinary, you know, so much. I think you and I talked about this uh, just before in general is that the whole part about the industry was about, it's about apprenticeship and working for people, with people, understanding, just like you said, washing dishes and working your way all the way up are the people who are the most inspired by the work and the most conscientious of who's doing what part of the kitchen. And so here, you know, the education for the kids, I really want them to do that 
while they're here is, hey, you're, you're doing dishes, you're learning how to break down stoves, and you're also cooking. But you can only learn this, in my opinion, through hands-on, doing something through online. I wasn't that type of learner. And so therefore, that's not the way that I teach. I think, you know, for instance, we were doing doughs and, and, you know, it's like, hey, through the weekend, you know, the dough that you had made for pie dough, it got a little, it was hard. And so it needs to temper. And so you have to feel that to know that you can't just follow a recipe and roll right into it, you know, just to kind of kind of speak to the industry and, and kind of kind of what I'm doing a little bit here as well. But also that appreciation for Annabelle, like you just said before, of everybody in the industry, whether you're fast food, fine dining, fast casual, you name it. I know there's a million names nowadays, but that's that's my that's my take on it a little bit, you know. And my instinct is always to just call you chef. So I yeah. just this is just ingrained in me, and that's another part of the business that I think is not necessarily always present, but to me is sure. a necessity. Sure. So what are you more comfortable with, chef or Chris? What do you what would you like? Can, well, I mean. I- Honestly, you know, it's funny you mention that because I've I've always been to say, hey, you can call me either or. But I realized that, you know, the teaching thing now, I, I was like, you know, I didn't want to come in as feeling like this egotistical person that was like, got to call me chef. And that's what it is, because I had chef like that that would freak out if you didn't call him chef. So I guess the short answer is either way. But I had found out by not defining it well for my students. They're all over the board. You know, it's like Mr. Starkis, Chris Starkis, Chef Starkis. So chef it's just make it very simple, I think, is the best way to go. So that, that works out great. <laughs> when I had taken over a restaurant at Four Seasons in Austin, uh, the the relationship with the exec was very casual. Of course, he, he was a very similar guy. He's just, you, you love this guy right away. He was ridiculously talented. I kind of drop the hammer on that real quickly and said, here's, here's a, here's the mode of communication. Yes, chef, no chef right away, chef. I'm sorry, chef. (laughs) These are the only responses that can happen during service. After that, we can have all the wide open conversation we want. Of course, there was a ton of pushback on that. A big part of our challenge is always keeping chaos at bay. And you described a bit of chaos. So I'm going to go with chef just because it's natural with me, if that's okay (laughs) with you. And And we'll teach our, we'll teach our audience. So let me go back, Chef, if you will go back, where did you grow up? I grew up in a place called Santa Clarita, California. It's about an hour north of LA. Um, so I uh, grew up in an area out there called Valencia. Basically, yeah, that's where you know my, my dad was a mortgage banker. My mom was a travel agent. And I have uh, an older brother. Um, and we just kind of grew up out there and played on golf team. And that was kind of what I was up to. And actually, that's where the crux came into was that during high school, I I mean, I was a pretty good player back in the day, you know, I had a couple rounds under par and, you know, ride around par and a couple over. But if you know anything about golf or anybody does out there, that's nowhere near the professional level or even anywhere that you're going to get any sort of college scholarship. So during my junior and senior year, I had taken a job at a local Applebee's, basically started, I was 15, I think it was Maybe it was earlier than that, man. Um, it was 15 and a half because I had my learner's permit because you could get your license in California on your 16th birthday, which is in July for me. And so I started working at an Applebee's there because I was like, you know what? I need to figure something out. I'm not good enough to be a professional golfer. And that had been my aspiration to begin with. Was this a self-realization for you or it was? did one of your parents or your friends go, you know, dude, look, it's uh, you're good, but... Right. Totally, because... What was happening was as a junior or senior, you know, I had, like I said, I'd been working a little bit and kind of figuring it out. And then I said, and I saw like freshmen coming up and starting to beat me, you know, because their scores were 
more consistent. Again, as a freshman here, I am as a junior, as a senior, I played all four high school, all four years on varsity. I was like, this isn't, this isn't good enough. And, and to be honest, it was, it was coupled with that. And also when I had to go, I didn't enjoy playing in the rain and the cold. I hated it. And, <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not getting paid to do this. And this isn't fun. This sucks. And, yeah. And I was like, what? Well, and so that was kind of, that's what kind of like made, was my plateau in golf was the fact that I'm like, you know, you, you hear the, you hear all the, the stuff about Tiger Woods and how he go out and play and all that stuff. And like, that was just a ne- an, another level that I wasn't interested in, you know? And so I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm fine with being a quote, good golfer, but then what am I going to do from there? Um, I started getting a job just like any high school would, high schooler would at, like I said, it was at the restaurant at the time I had, you know, it wasn't like I was reading cookbooks every day. And like I knew at that point in time, but that's kind of what made me transition into this work life. And I did finish my year out in um, in high school playing golf and then I, I worked. And so Applebee's chef, you go right into back of house at 15 and a half or are you working in the front? What are you doing? No, I was working in the front of the house. So I was a host and a busser and that's how I trained. And then I learned how to become an expo. Now in the state of California, at least at the time, you had to be 18 to use a knife or a slicer in the state of California. I, yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard. And I spent 17 yeah. years and I don't know that I've ever heard that restriction. Right. And so, again, not knowing full well, it could have been uh, their corporate rules. I'm not sure. But I remember it being a California thing, at least at that point in time. And so I I was interested in the kitchen in terms of, um, you know, there was a lot of it was awesome back there, you know. And And most of the time, I never even to this day, never liked dealing with people in the front of the house that were angry, which is why I always loved guys like you, Jeff, that were really great at, at just say, Hey, uh, Jeff, can you talk table 25? Wait a minute. Uh, about, wait a yeah, minute. Yeah, people yeah. in the front get angry. I've never yeah. heard of this before. <laughs> anger? Yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. How could there yeah. be anger when you're being exactly. served and catered to and taken care of? Exactly. Uh-huh. So, you okay. know. so anyways, I, w- I was like, you know, not that anybody was upset at me, but of course there's always that classic sample of like, you're a host you see a whole section of tables that is, of course, open, but of course you don't have the server for it because you're understaffed or they didn't staff enough for it. You know, the person's always looking at you like, hey, why can't we sit over there? And you have to explain to them exactly why they can't, even though they feel like they could sit anywhere in, in the dining room. And so I worked my way in the expo and found out pretty early on that, um, and that's expediter for anybody out there. That's the person basically communicating. You're kind of the liaison, the quarterback of communicating between the front and back of the house. And depending on the operation that could be the chef, that could be a runner, that could be a front of the house manager. Um, at least at this time, it was me, a 16-year-old high schooler. I was taking Spanish as well. So a lot of the guys I was working with were from Mexico and, and spoke Spanish. And um, so I knew enough Spanish to talk with them and, of course, English to work with the front of the house. So it was a really good position right on. I loved being right in the pressure cooker. Uh, you're a kid then. So screen system could be Applebee's may have no, had. No, this is tickets. Tickets, this paper tickets. Okay. Tickets, yep. So I'd, I'd take it off, uh, you know, and actually stamp it when it came in with the time because you had to get it out in 14 minutes or whatever it was. There was all time control on that. So you'd stamp it or it would actually it would sorry, it would come in with the time on it and we'd stamp it on the way out. So we made we made sure um, everything got out in the the time allotted that it was supposed to, you know, send that dupe in. I had one, a, a, a white ticket on my side, a yellow ticket on the cook side and communicate, put orders together. I had a, uh, a cooler next to me that was like putting up all the, you know, ramekins and sides of sour cream and salsa and all that stuff for all the dishes. 
and, and like I said, I would do it at night. I'd leave school, come and work at night. Um, and then I'd work doubles on the weekend. Sometime I'd work Saturday, double work 13 hours on, on Saturday and Sunday if they needed me to as a, yeah. as a dedicated expo Yep, as a kid, yep. this yeah, is, they, this- they knew they wanted me as quarterback, if you will, on the busy days. Cause they, they, I was the best at it at the time. Right. Okay. So how many covers in an Applebee's for dinner? Would you do well, so? that's the thing is we would do it because at the end of the night, I would have to take all my tickets off and separate them out by zero to 10 minutes, 10 minutes to 14 minutes and really separate the times and basically do a data um, in a three ring binder of exactly what the tickets were. Now, I remember a busier night was 250 tickets. So that could be one that up to 10. could be a thousand. Right? That could be right. four, right? Four right. tops or right. at least 50% so, four tops or Applebee's is a family restaurant. So yeah. probably four so tops. I would say at the time though, I, during the week, I feel like it'd be like, it'd probably be three to 400 in the night. And then of course more on the weekends. Cause I remember, I think, I think one of the busiest days I had was like a Valentine's it was like 450 tickets or something like that. And again, the covers attributed to that were one to four to 10, you know, well, Valentine's, Valentine's day, day is it, probably it, two yeah, or four. Right? It's all, du- yeah, it's mostly yeah. deuces. Right. But so, but still that's an eight, oh, yeah. that's seven, 800, 800 cover night. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. massive volume volume for anyone who hasn't worked in a restaurant and is a, it's just picturing a not yet sixteen year old kid at, at <laughs> yeah. the ultimate right there at the at the at the pinch po- ultimate pinch point that all yeah. it all happens between you and the dishwasher it's you're either gonna live or die it's all gonna happen right there so you could take that pressure and the guys respected you and that's a big deal and I'm just gonna assume. Chef, in, in my career, my point of view is there are a couple of amazing, amazing training systems where I was always happy to, I'll say, I won't say poach, but acquire staff. And that was Cheesecake Factory and mm-hmm. Houston's. But I'm mm-hmm. going to assume that you were in a great system as well. So you're just already describing a book at the end of service that you have to log your tickets into time yeah. categories. Would you say, would you say though, that it was it was a great system for you to learn. Was it a good teaching place for you? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think it was more one of those things that, yes, it was a combination of the corporate teaching. I remember I'd put like, there was like this little break room. There's like a VHS. I'd have to take extra courses. That was, you know, whether it was like sexual harassment training or, you know, a new SOP. But I think part of it too was the crew. We really gelled together. You know, I, I really got along with the front of the house and back of the house but I was also willing to do whatever it took. You know, they'd call me and, hey, can you host, even though I've been to Expo, can you host this day? Then go on to Expo, you know. Eventually, a dishwasher wouldn't show up or no call, no show. And I would jump in the tank because I wanted the hours. So I think it was a combination of them knowing that I was fine with working. And so, of course, they wanted to train me to do whatever I wanted to learn because it was going to be advantageous for them down the road if, again, something no call, no show. Now, I never cooked i did prep cook and things like that um i would portion stuff with like you know like the potatoes and the riblets or whatever it was i would portion stuff like that maybe warm up soups but that's the most i did at that point in time it's funny it almost sounds like a scrappy indie approach and what so my question is more to the point of a a system an ops system and that's mm-hmm. what I, I was using cheesecake and mm-hmm. and houston's because everything is so systematically designed and anybody who comes out of there just understands A to B to C to D, boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom, right? They yeah. just really I mean, get that. 
Agreed. And the fact that nothing really changed, it was the, you know, they changed some menu items here and there. So you were able to train that way. Right. Um, and right. I remember those trainings, you know, a server would bring me through and train me and check all the boxes and signatures and, and stuff like that. There was a lot, but, but like I said, even looking back, I, I don't think of it that way. I think it was more like I probably went faster than what the training was because everyone was interested in wanting to train me versus the other way around. Right, right. That's yeah. good. Okay. So you're on the expo, you're crushing it, you're you're in school, you're making some money, you got the respect yeah. of the back of the house, which is huge yeah. as a kid, yeah. tremendous. Yeah. Already, if I'm running that joint, I know here's a rising star. When do you know that you want to cook? Well, I was basically there uh, two and a half years is what the, my my whole time that I spent there. And because my birthday was in July, I actually graduated high school at 17 and a half, right? And so my 18th or three quarters, if you will. So my 18th birthday wasn't until after I graduated. I remember my father had said, you know, you really seem to enjoy this. You know, uh, you know, they, of course, they came in and eat every now and then. And, you know, the, all the servers, everybody knew them and the managers and all that stuff. And so they're hearing positive stuff about what I got going on. And any of my downtime, you know, if I wasn't golfing or whatever, I'd be working. Was, so, were your parents the kind of parents like I'd be like, uh, you know, that that took a while for us to get our entree just now. Can you uh, can, can <laughs> yeah, you let them know that? that, that, that... Probably like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. My mom's pretty quiet, but my dad was uh -huh. the one I doing think, that. Sure. I think there's room for you to improve here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, can I talk to the expo? Uh, <laughs> or it must be an expo issue. Uh, you know, it was definitely a minute long. Because, of course, I'd come home and talk about logging the tickets and stuff like that, right? Right. You know, he was the one who said, hey, you know, my my grandmother on my mom's side lived in Las Vegas at the time. He said, you know, there's you can do this at a higher level, like, if you want to check this out. I, I mean, and. And this again, was, this just, was your dad now, chef, right? This my is your, father, yeah. your dad. Yeah. Okay. So supportive of this. Nice. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I was like, I, again, I wasn't reading cookbooks. I wasn't dreaming. This wasn't a thing for me. And so we went, I said, he said, why don't we go and we go visit Vegas and there's a culinary school out there. And that was the, uh, it was actually the community college of Southern Nevada. They had a better program at the time than UNLV to me coming out of high school and saying, okay, wait a minute, I can go to school and work at the same time and I can finish up my uh was a bachelor of arts degree in two years or associate's degree in two years and be fine like I, to go and to say i was going to go to a higher university for four more years before was not anything i was excited about at all so we went to the community college of nevada we had a tour we saw the campus i saw all the kitchens and i remember specifically and it's funny to laugh back now but the windows looking into the kitchen there was a guy in a chef jacket peeling potatoes and for I thought it was the coolest thing I liked the jacket to be doing something rather than like doing some sort of book report or something like that was was everything that I was like this is this is what I want to do the and uniform so, got you yeah, I <laughs> guess yeah I guess you know what I mean like I said that's I remember that memory and I remember thinking that's great and we sat down with the president and we looked at you know the he was the chef he had a chef jacket on and we looked at um, all the classes and how it would kind of shake down and next thing I knew, I was packing up my car as you would as a teenager with a bunch of like plastic bags and, and garbage bags, putting everything in my my trunk of my car and, and driving out to Las Vegas uh, pretty, pretty quickly after graduation to move in with my grandma and uh, start basically going to school. And my dad at the time said, hey, you know, it's a community college. It's not too expensive. I think, you know, I, I got in-state tuition and stuff like that. And it was basically like, Hey, just get good grades in school and and we'll take care of you. I was like, okay. But I figured out very quickly that again, this is this is before 
gosh, I think I had a cell phone. I had a flip phone, maybe. There, you know, the internet's starting to come out and all that stuff. So there was none of that going on. And so I would go to school, but I, I didn't know anybody. And here I am. I'm just turned 18 and in a city where you need to be 21 to do anything. Right. I know my, my grandmother and that was it. And so really quickly, I was like, okay, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And so basically, I would go to school on Mondays and Tuesdays. So I would go from, I think it was eight in the morning to basically eight at night because they were two six hour classes on top of each other. So I took four classes Monday and Tuesday. And so Wednesday through Sunday, I had nothing going on. I had to do my home, maybe homework if I had any. And that was it. And so my grandmother used to watch Emerald and Wolfgang on the Food Network. At the time, I had no idea who they were. It wasn't something that I followed. And um, so she had she had circled a job fair-ish, basically, of Wolfgang Puck was hiring at, at the forum shops at Caesars Palace at a place called Chinois, which was his Asian place. There's one on Santa Monica in California. Chinois right? Chinois on Main. Chinois. Absolutely. Chinois on Main, exactly. Yep. So going in, I literally had just enrolled in the culinary school. I had been going for maybe three weeks. And so I show up, and so I apply for a busser position because I'm like, everybody's got I, – I, like I told you, I hadn't cooked up this point. I didn't use a knife or anything. And so, you know, I sit down with the general manager. He comes out. I'm, I mean, and there, I don't know if you remember what that looked like. It was right across from FAO Schwartz. It was two – stories. I mean, Caesar's Palace at the time had like the sky, like thing you felt like you were outside. It was like the place to be. Right. And so here I am, this kid, I don't, you know, I'm like this. I'm trying to make sure I don't like walk too close to the slot machines and get in trouble by security or whatever. So I get to the, I get there and sit down and this guy comes out in like nice suit, sits down, starts talking to me and, Hey, why do you want to be a buster? He looks at my resume. And like, he's like, what's your five-year plan? And I said, well, I'd really like to you know, I'm going to school and I'd really like to work my way into the back, back of the house. Because at this point in time, I think everybody in the kitchen is like, you know, Wolfgang Puck. You right. know, everyone knows what they're doing, right? <laughs> and he's right. like, well, you know, we're hiring for some entry level positions. Uh, why don't I bring the executive chef out? And I was like, hey, I was very clear. I'm like, look, I just enrolled. Like, I wanted to make sure that he wasn't hearing that I knew what I was doing because I didn't at all. Right. And right. so. I, he's like, would you like to talk to the chef? I said, sure. So can I, chef, can I ask you, chef, did you show up? What did you wear to this walk-in interview? Did I, you? I had a button up uh, shirt, you know, black slacks, nice shoes. And, right. and, and that was kind of it. I don't, I, I think, I don't even think I had a tie on or anything like that. But you look, you like, look presentable. Yeah. You look, yeah, of course, you look nice. of course, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you brought, uh, uh you brought, uh, any kind of a resume or what do you do? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I had my resume right. with me. I had one page resume, okay. um, you know, with my education and of course my time at Applebee's and all the stuff. Right. And so brought it. And of course chef comes out, he interviews me for a little bit. This is about like probably in the afternoon. It was like one in the afternoon. And who's the exec at this point? I don't, I, at this point in time, this was a chef named John Legrone. He's still a partner with, um, Wolfgang Puck. Okay. And, um, basically he's like, Hey, well, you know, he interviews me and he's like, I'll give you a try and uh, I'll let you know if uh, I'll let you know this afternoon if we're going to hire you. Um, but it was a prep cook position. OK, great. Um, Five fifteen an hour <laughs> minimum wage. Right. right. And that's all I knew. And so by four o'clock that day, they called me, told me to come in the next day. I was ecstatic. Came in the next day, got all my stuff, HR, all the stuff. And at the time, you used to have to have a. um uh, to work on the ship, you had to have a sheriff's card, which is your background check. Okay. So you had to have a sheriff's card. 
You got to go to the health department, get your health card, your food handler's card, take right. class. You had to have a hepatitis shot and go. Th- you had to go to the health department to do that. So I had to go all this stuff and here you go. And then next thing you know, I'm I'm cutting garnish for uh, basically the walk station, cooking rice and doing cold prep. Now you went from Applebee's mm-hmm. to Shinwa. We were talking about covers at Applebee's. This is yep. Shinwa in Caesars, yep. arguably when Wolfgang is at the pinnacle of his career, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was still big. Obviously, he was on, you know, the Food Network and yeah. all that stuff. But yeah, he's he's yeah. growing. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's big. And Chinois Main opened first, if I remember correctly, Correct. right? Yep. Yeah. And they already had a Spago at the forum shop, so they opened Chinois after that. Right, right. Yep. Okay. But you're talking also Vegas just really hitting its stride. So Correct. now you're jumping into a service, a dinner service, which is how many covers, Chef? Well, so there's two different things here. So down there was two restaurants. Downstairs was the lunch and dinner, and upstairs was the fine dining. Okay. And so, wow, I'm gonna. I, I feel like we would do 100 to 200 for lunch, depending, and about the same at dinner. And then up, but, uh, but at the same time, you're doing 200 at downstairs, and you would do another, um, you know, 150, 200 upstairs as well. So at night would be you know three to four hundred. Um, but again. I'm just making like, you know, we're making sure we have enough rice. We have enough of like the chive batons and the, and all like the mushu duck crepes and things like that to make sure that that's what they had for upstairs. So we're prepping. I'm not at the line at the time, but this is back in the day. There's open kitchens. So both restaurants have open kitchens. Um, and yeah, I just go in, I'm prepping my butt off. Um, and I'd be the one, of course, you know, everyone wants you to stay late. Can you stay late? And I would work Wednesday through Sunday. I only had school two days a week. so. I would stay late, come in early, whatever it was, and rock out, rock out hours and be there. Now, being Vegas at the time, conventions were the biggest thing. So you would roller coaster between covers and between those times. Obviously, the summertime was dead. But when you had like the computer electronics show in town, you had an excess of 350,000 people descend on the city. Oh, yeah. And obviously, you're doing you know, three, 400 at lunch at that point in time and maybe 500 for dinner. So you're just, it just goes up exponentially. And they know, and then we knew this, this wasn't a surprise, you know, that chefs make sure that, you know, your prep lists are going up and things like that. Everyone knew what that was about. So but you're coming in, do. you're coming in chef with, with the numbers that you're talking about and when the intensity, I mean, this is the A team now, even though you're a new guy, this is, yeah. Oh, yeah. this is a kitchen. Yeah, there's a lot to learn here. Right. This, absolutely. It's a kitchen functioning on the, on the highest level. And uh, I I mean, I I had a prep guy from Spago who worked at a cafe. I I was partners with two Spago chefs and this guy came in and he, he, the, the knife skills, which is where I'm going with this, this guy, this guy would prep chef. I mean, it would take, we had other guys would take him four hours, literally 45 minutes. This guy was, and then he was, everything was meased out. He would just go into dry store. I mean, he could not stop walking, right? Could not stop. Yeah. Complete machine, unbelievable attitude. Looked for more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Yeah. And then, and then went and did dinner at Spago that night. Yeah. Right? He yeah. would just prep for us during the day. So unbelievable, and the, the yeah. work ethic just extraordinary. So you come in with no knife skills, admittedly, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. you're kind of you're kind of dropped into the deep end of the pool because the the, the, the action's happening, right? So, yeah. so and you, I mean, I spoke more Spanish in the back of the house, right? I was pretty much the only. Uh, non-Spanish speaking guy back there. So it was about using my Spanish skills to 
speak and then you know and again learn these guys are looking at me kind of like okay what's this kid doing well, and then all of a sudden here's the weirdo what are we right, gonna do it, with this guy? <laughs> yeah and then all of a sudden like okay this guy's cool let's teach him everything that we know it's back going back to your point let's show him all the the ways to be the most efficient how to work how to mise and plus how to be clean and they mentored me again, like any good kitchen does. You have a good crew of people that are working with each other. You know, again, my work ethic shone through and they wanted to to work with me. So I started as a prep cook. I started, I'd get all my stuff done and then work on hot, hot prep, which was, like I said, doing the mushu duck and cooking rice for, uh, you know, uh, wok fried rice and cooking and blanching beans. And I would, we used to have to make, we'd make shrimp cocktail and shuck oysters and We'd have to grind. I remember we would grind ice in a Roboku, like a food processor, to order for those and put it in a in a bowl with like totally. napkins and stuff <laughs> like that, right? You know, yep, the ramekin totally. of, of, of chef. Can I cocktail, yeah. can I interrupt you and ask you for a second? Sure. Because again, I think this is an important part of the progression that you come in, and this is just straight up restaurant talk. This is you earning the respect yeah. of a hardcore completely badass professional Latino team because that's what it was. And those are the guys, those are the guys who make the restaurant business, especially at that level happen. And you're the white boy that comes in there. I mean, they're looking at you like you're another lazy white boy because that's what we see. Right. And so the fact that you came in and earned their respect for them to teach you is not something that we should just go. I think should be glossed over because this is a huge thing. This is where this is where really the men are separated from the boys, right? Because these guys. Yeah, there's can, a lot of culture. There's a lot of culture that you're mixing with there, yeah. Right, but they can yep. smell a slacker right away. They know. Right. Yep. They yep. know right away from the way yeah. you're moving and that they will look in your eyes, right? I mean, they can, they right. know it, and so right. this is a big deal that because so much to me in the restaurant business is about respect. For everything, yeah, uh, for yeah, your colleagues, right. for yeah. the animal that was sacrificed to be the protein on the plate. I mean, across the board, it is about respect, beginning, middle, and end of the day. So for you to earn that respect is a big deal. And now they're teaching you, right? Now they're yep. going to share yep. with you. That's yep. a big deal. And, and another thing that we had going too was, you know, they would teach me Spanish and I would teach them English. So we would ha- we'd have that kind of going back and forth too. Like, hey, how do you say this? How do you say this? And, and vice versa, you know. And so that was also the thing, too, that we had going in trade was, again, bettering each other, um, not only from cooking skills, but obviously language skills as well. And so it's one of the beautiful things about the restaurant community. Right. That kind of that kind of sharing and learning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because you're with I mean, you're in the trenches with these people every single day. You know, and I I even say this now. I'm like, look, you get to choose the restaurant culture you're in if you're going into it. Hopefully you do or you should be because. If you don't like the people you're working with, why would you spend 12 to 16 hours a day with them? Forget that. You know what I mean? Like that's this is a combination of work ethic, passion, love, career, all of the above. And so if you don't like like it, you have to change it because you're just going to be like this disgruntled person no matter where you are. But specifically in kitchens, uh, you're just not going to be a happy person. And, and unfortunately, there are a lot of unhappy people in the, in the kitchens, but you know, that wasn't me at the time. And, and again, I had nothing better to do. I was going to right. school and I was learning everything, you know, that I had on the job. And I, you know, conversely to, to, you know, most of the industry, I, I never, you know, I didn't partake in drugs. I didn't do any of that stuff. So I didn't have any distractions. I'm not a gambler. A lot of people ask me like, how'd you spend, you know, I, again, foreshadowing, I spent 12 years in Las Vegas 
And everyone's like, how'd you do it? I was like, because I, I knew when to go home. I didn't have a drinking problem. I didn't, I don't gamble. I probably gambled $150 in 12 years in Las Vegas. You know, that just wasn't what I was there for. You know, I, I learned, like you said, I mean, I, I look back at Vegas and think that was the best place to learn food service and hospitality at the time. Like one of the best places in the world to really learn it because they do it some of the best in the world, in God, my opinion. Such, you know, such a high level. It is, yeah. it's, you're executing a session. I, you know, when you're saying I don't gamble, I'm thinking, oh, au contraire, chef, because you gamble with every freaking cover, every plate. <laughs> so you don't yeah, need to go to the slots or to the True. roulette wheel, man, because if you want to gamble, just, uh, you know, put up a plate on the line yeah. and walk it out to a table. That's a gamble yeah, every freaking time. Yeah, fair. So, totally. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, okay. So now you moved, I think I cut you off when you were moving to hot, right? You're getting, you're getting on the line now. Yeah. You're coming out of prep. Okay. Yeah. And, so the, oh, oh, I know, I know yeah, what I wanted to ask you, chef. So you're with the guys, you're being tutored by the Latino team in the back of house mm -hmm. and you're making good progress is, was your sense that the exec, the Sioux, uh, I, I don't know. Wolfgang had like two or three Sioux sometimes. Uh, uh, yeah, there sure. was, remember with, we had both kitchens. So you had a chef de cuisine upstairs. We had an executive chef, um, who did both. And then we had Sioux, um, downstairs and upstairs. So I want to say at the time, there's probably four or five sous, a chef de cuisine, an executive chef, and of course, like lead line cooks, things like that. So the hierarchy was was in full force, 100%. It, got it. You know, I'd put it in an hour so everyone saw me. So there were sous chefs there, like one of the guys there, Scott, he was one of the sous chefs, and he kind of would give you, you know, a pat on the back every now and then when they're coming asking for more mise en place or something on the fly because they ran out or whatever it may be. Just like I talked about before with the dishwashers, you know, I'd learn hot prep just because I had finished my cold prep, maybe I had a lighter list. So I would, I would hang out with Juan Carlos, who was the hot prep guy at the time and learn how to do everything. And then of course that person calls in sick or they don't show up for whatever reason. And next thing you know, they're like, Hey, Chris knows how to do hot prep. Boom. Now you're doing hot prep. And next thing you know, you're, it's like getting the lead in the play. You see on the schedule when you go on next week and now you're hot prep all week. And there you go because you learned it and they don't have to spend any time training you. That's it. You're the understudy and you get your big break, yeah. which is exactly, yeah. yeah, which is exactly what happened. Or is that what happened? So you yeah. just, you jumped in. Okay. And you, yeah. So I, the next thing I know I, w I was that. And then, um, you know, I remember I wanted to get on the line and so I'd be uh, doing hot prep. And of course there'd be days I still do cold prep and the hot prep guy does family meals. So I used to put a family meal for everybody. Um, family meal would be, you know, cooking up. There'd be like a, a shelf that you could use, you know, leftover scraps of food or whatnot to cook up food for front and back of the house. Um, so you were, you had to do family meal every single day as the hot prep person as well. And family um, meal, we should just, again, I love that yeah. you stopped us and just, uh, you know, a couple of explainers. So if, uh, if people have not worked in restaurants and don't know what family meal is, yeah. what is it, Jeff? So that was, you know, you'd use the scraps and normally the back of the house, sometimes it'd be a rotation of who did it, but you're cooking food for everybody that comes in. So they have something to eat and some sustenance before they're going into service. Um, and so, yeah. Did you have a chance to actually sit down and have a proper storybook family meal? Or was no, everybody, no, no, every, no, everybody was eating on the, on the fly, right? Yeah, the restaurant didn't close. We were right. just between services. We, and so it was slower, but we didn't close. No way. Yeah. You know, I've had friends who've had those experiences where it's a dinner only joint. I unfortunately never was in a restaurant 
that really, although when, when I was at Chaya, they would do a family meal uh, between we'd finish lunch service and then everyone sit down, but it was very segregated. The chefs, they were very <laughs> intense Japanese chefs, chef. And yeah. it, it was an honor if you were invited to sit with them, but most of the time front and back were separated. And I tried for quite some time to just, can we just all, can we just all eat together? That was yeah, as close that, as I got to it. But. Right. And I say at this point in time, it wasn't um, that type of thing. Now, when I, later on, when I worked for Alexander Estrada at his two restaurants that were in Vegas as well, we did dinner only five days a week. And so therefore, um, chefs and cooks in front of the house, it was actually really close. And he was one of the, the chefs that would that would teach me that that was how you do things um, as a, as a good leader, you know, yeah. really combining front and back of the house. And, yeah. and at that point in time, we did have more of those storybook family meals yeah. because you had time though. The restaurant wasn't open. So exactly. You, you had time to do it. Yeah. Exactly. And it's so, it's so important. And I think you can sense when those, when that's happening because those teams are truly one. And we yeah. both know that that is an ongoing and everlasting challenge, the yeah. unification of front and back. So we go back. So now you're in regular service on the, are you, you're getting, you're scheduled on the line. Are you getting a station at this point? Not yet. I mean, honestly, it was one of the things where, you know, one of the epiphany moments for me was, you know, I, I wanted to get my stuff done and, and the executive chef would walk in the back of the house. And this was one of the ones I remember specifically because I was waiting for him to come back one day. Cause I really was like, I wanted to know why I didn't go on, wasn't going on the line. Uh, I, I wanted it to go on the line. I was like, maybe I should have to tell him that I want to go on the line or whatever. So one night we're cleaning up and it's like 11 o'clock at night service is over and he's, he's coming back. He's checking, making sure everything's cause he's about to head out and he's saying goodbye. I'm like, Hey chef, um, you know, what, what do I have to do to, to get on the line? You know, I, I feel like I had been doing well on both cold and hot prep. Uh, and he's like, get your list done early and then come up. Okay. So he's like, get all your stuff done before you're out of here in eight hours and you can do that. So I was like, great. So the low end of the totem pole um, at Chinois was the fry station. I was like, great. So I showed up the next day, got my list, rocked it out. And I had about one or two hours left and I came up on the line and I started, there's a guy named Leroy who worked uh, fry station. You know, the chef at the time would work the main walk station. So I kind of caught his eye and I was like, Hey chef, I'm done my prep he's like sweet hop on with Leroy and he'll start showing you what's going on and so at this point in time it's about 9 9 30 at night there's still some covers going on so it's not crazy busy and Leroy would start showing me how to do stuff next thing you know I'd be done earlier and earlier uh one day Leroy worked two jobs or either that he would work two jobs and so one day he'd be like hey I want to get out of here early because I've been working since the morning and they would let me kind of finish the station out and close it down so I'd close down hot prep and then close down fry station and then there was a time he didn't show up and next thing you know, um, I was on Friday the next week. And then that's the way it kind of continued down the line. I did that with pantry and and, and uh, walk station. I was there for about, gosh, I'm trying to remember how long I was there. I want to say it was about a, just about a year, maybe a year and a half. And at the time, John was starting to open up uh, Post Trio at the Venetian Hotel. Venetian uh, was starting to be built. Another great restaurant. <laughs> yeah, Post Trio from San Francisco. And um, he said, Hey, I, I want, I want to take you over there. Um, but you know, we have to get some things in line. So I want you to be part of the opening team over there. And I was like, great. At this time, I also had my brother move to Vegas and we were working on at this point in time, real estate in Vegas is really cheap. So I had gotten a second job to buy a house. Um, like I told you, my dad was a mortgage banker. So he right. was like, you guys could buy a house for cheaper than doing an apartment. Why don't you do that? Like, okay, great. Smart. So my brother was working in front of the house at Mona Miga, uh, not Mona Miga Beach, uh, Mimi's Cafe um, in California. And so I said, hey, why don't you come out? 
looked at a house. We bought a house together. So this time I got a second job. So I'm working to my tail end at Chinois, knowing that I'm going to go over to Post Trio. I get a second job at one of the old sous chef that worked for us that went over to go work at the um, Eiffel Tower at the Paris Hotel, um, which was run by Jean Joho from the Eversham in Chicago. Um, and so I got a job there as a second job in the morning doing prep and receiving and whatnot. So I'd go work at seven o'clock in the morning uh, until about two thirty, walk across the strip and get to work at three and then work from three o'clock till eleven, eleven thirty at night. Young and strong. You can do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Young yeah. is just well, listening to that and I'm feeling like, man, I need a nap. That's a yeah. lot. Oh, but okay. I had the opportunities to to really, I mean, at this point in time, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten raises and things like that. But even at that, um, I remember I got hired on, I believe it was, I was stoked to get hired on at $11 an hour, I think as a prep cook or receiving or whatever it was. You know, there was this big moment uh, at the point in time that myself and one of the other cooks were working two jobs. And we, I remember it like it was yesterday, we were, we had a ribeye that we had on the menu at Chinois. Um, John was working the uh, walk station. We would slice the ribeye, put this uh, shallot, you know, sauce over it and put it up in the window. And that's what it was. Garnish made with some scallions or whatever. It's kind of Asian style. We were so, we were tired. We were working seven days a week, double, you know, like I said, every day. And yes, we were young, but you're still tired. And I remember oh, yeah. myself and Brian, I I put up the steak and he sauced it and it was the wrong temp. And the chef looked it over and he's like, hey, it was under, it was rare. We took all the sauce off. We had to redo it, bring it up, put sauce on it again. We put it up again. It was the wrong temp again. And I remember his chef looked at us. He said, you know, you guys need to quit that effing other job if you want to go over to Postrio with me because you're 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 effing up. I remember both Brian and I walked out of there and I was like, again, it was a second job for me. I'd worked probably, I think it was like six months. Um, I did both. And so I went in and I gave my notice because I knew he wasn't messing around and I was exhausted, but I had get, I had made the money I needed to. So I gave my notice, left over there. And then later on, I started, I was opening a pantry station at Post Trio at the Venetian, uh, just about a year, year and a half after I started at Chinois. You knew at this point you're in, right? I mean, is this just completely fulfilling and thrilling you and that you're feeling this is your career or you at this point, oh, you're I still not sure? I mean, 100%, I knew this was my career. I knew I wasn't going anywhere. And I was, I wanted to just, I was like a sponge. I wanted to learn as much as I could. And as, you know, there were chefs like that saying, hey, you know, at this point in time, there's so many restaurants opening up, you know? And again, I, I luckily, and I say this to people now, I was luckily making enough money to make my bills. And I knew that I could make the moves I needed to, to really work at the restaurants I wanted to work at. And I didn't need to get a job for money at the time, because I was so young. And this is still advice I give to my students now, like, hey, go and work the places you want to work when you don't need to make whatever mortgage payment or, you know, you have kids or whatever that is, because that's really the freedom you get to really go in and really work at the places you want to work. Um, and these were the ones I wanted to work. And I knew that these were great restaurants and I was getting treated fairly well and, and not. And think about it, Chef. I mean, you're talking five fifty an hour, 11 bucks an hour, and yep. this is Vegas. Things are less expensive, perhaps, in L.A. or New York, but yep. maybe yep. not by a ton. You and your brother were able to afford a house, which is yep. amazing. Yep. Um, and I don't know if you had help from your parents because you're not making a lot of money at that point. But for you to buy a house, you you were you were we, you were clear headed enough to pull it off. Yes, and at this time, I mean, our, I think our first house was like 130k. You know what I mean? It's not a lot of money at all. 
you right. know, we, we in the, about it. In the yeah. scheme of things. But yep. so, so you're doing this, you're dedicated, you're young, you're not making a lot of money. You're able to look down the road and say, and see, okay, well, I'm, I'm making progress here and there, there are clearly opportunities. Flash forward, sure. because so much of what you're talking about and you just said to your current students, now that you're teaching, and there's a whole chunk of your amazing career <laughs> yeah. that we're yeah. not even touching on in the second here. You, there's a lot of stuff in your rear view mirror and yeah. we're in the middle of this pandemic yep. that has completely turned our world of hospitality upside down. And shaking it so freaking hard and the fallout continues. So what do you tell the students that you have now that are coming in that maybe are like you, that are like you used to be? You're coming in with this gleam Mm -hmm. in their eye. Although you weren't really short, right? You go, well, I'm playing golf. I don't really know what I want to do. But whatever it sounds like you're the kind of guy, whatever you're doing, you're doing it and you're focused on it and you're, and you're, and you're pushing it forward. What do you tell a kid today, chef? You know, you would normally say, Hey, get out there and work, man, but you can't really do that. I mean, you can, but it's, it's so different now. You you can. So I think here the difference is like, um, like I was telling you back in the day, you know, you had food handler, car, all this stuff, right? So the state of Colorado itself doesn't say you need to have a food handler's card. That's not a prerequisite. You know, they come out of this with, uh, you know, a certification to serve safe and allergy certification because there's classes on all that stuff now as far as like cooking for people here and there. And so what I say to them is you're already coming out as a leg up. Like we talked about, you're young, you're energetic. Hopefully you don't need to make $18 an hour to make your bills and you don't have any of those, those things. So go and find the restaurant that you want to work at. And guess what? You do not have to start at fast food. Have bigger aspirations for yourself because like I thought at the time, hey, everyone in that kitchen knows what they're doing. And you and I, Jeff, know that not everyone in every kitchen knows what they're doing. <laughs> so with that being said, be open with a positive mind. Go work for the restaurant or operation that you want to work for. Know have enough confidence in yourself that because you're interested, because you're passionate, because you have great energy, but also because you're young does not mean that you can't start there. That's the advice that I give them is really do some research on what side, where do they want to go? And again, if you choose a place and you're like, this isn't for me, have the confidence and also the professionalism to know that this isn't for you, you know, go do stages, go work for people. And I get right now. And, you know, as we're speaking today, which is what February 1st on in 2021, almost a that, year, a year today of the right. right. Just short of a year of, of this pandemic now. Right. Yeah. But I have, I have chef colleagues that are opening up new restaurants here in Denver because they were in plans before, um, you know, vaccines coming out. And my hope and, and want is that by summer this time, it's going to be vastly different and there will hopefully be uh, an opening up. Now I, I know that not a lot of these, some restaurants, a lot of them have closed. So I, I get there's going to be a rebirth of exactly what the new restaurant and sustainable restaurant is going to be in terms of financially sustainable. Um, so I know it's not exactly the same, but there are still many, 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 many great people out there doing great things and will continue to do great things um, even after this is over. And so that's what I try to re- remind them. You know, I'm teaching juniors and seniors in high school, so they're they're very young in their life, but also they, you know, for lack of a better term, they have the time to wait this out and still be on the right path where they want to go hundred percent. Nice. It sounds like a glass half full kind of approach. And I, yeah. I probably feel the same as you chef. I, I've been 
reading back and forth as to what hospitality at all levels will look like, but especially at, at, at the, you know, the fine dining air quotes, just a, a relaxed yeah. fine dining, yeah. what we've all been doing for years. Yeah. Uh, and we all know, we know the costs, we know the, the, the labor uh, hurdles. We, we, we know this, we know the, just the expense of just the rent. We, we know all the, yeah. all the challenges yeah. of, of running that kind of a business. The sense of course is from, I'm thinking for me is just that people, People are so they they want to get out. They want to be social again. They yep. they want to feel that again. And how we ease into that, and whether it's economically viable or for how many it's economically viable, I think that remains to be seen. So when you have these kids sitting in front of you, chef, you feel confident that there's going to be an opportunity for these guys. Agreed. I think at a certain percentage, yes. And this is also the other reason why I feel confident. And again, at the level that I'm at, which is again, juniors and seniors in high school, because if we've learned anything during the pandemic, we've learned, hey, I either don't know how to cook at all for myself. I don't want to learn how to cook for myself or I do and it doesn't taste great. Therefore, I'm going to allow somebody else to do it. And so I think there's a lot of niche markets, whether it's catering and things like that, or, you know, kind of blue apron style stuff. But also the kids that I have, if they come out of this, just knowing cooking as a life skill to cook better nutritionally for themselves and more from scratch that, Hey, in college, they are the one who can be financially sustainable because they know how to break down a chicken and make six or seven great meals out of how they break that down for themselves to get themselves through college or whatever that is, or cook for, you know, some of their roommates, they can go down either path. And I feel confident in that because cooking itself is a life skill. And then kind of being able to say, Hey, I'm going to take a look and see what the what the industry is continuing to do as we move forward, because I will tell you that there's a handful of my students right now that are in the industry, another handful that is more in the front of the house versus back of the house. And then probably half of them that are here right now, just like I like cooking, I like eating and I want to know how to cook better for myself. So being under that structure with the percentage of people that I know I'm graduating through the program. I would say, yes, I'm confident in that, you know, between my network connections of, of people in the industry that are still in the industry and getting them to connected with those professionals and saying, hey, these are people that I know are going to want to come up in the industry. Can you take them under your wing and grow them? And me knowing that they're going to a great operation that, again, I don't want to step step on fast food in so bad of a way, because like you said, there's good training and stuff like that there. And I believe that's true. But I also don't believe that you need to relegate yourself thinking that you need to start at the quote unquote bottom in order to get to a fine dining place that you really want to work at right now. I love that. I mean, I love that mentality, that sentiment. Your your students, I would say, Chef, are very, very lucky to have you as a teacher okay. and a mentor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with your with your real world experience and just this this incredible positive energy. It's it's beautiful. There's I think there's hope. I, I listen to you and I feel like there's hope for our business and hospitality is, I think it was listed as an essential business, but I, I think people don't understand what essential really means. It, we, we, yeah. hospitality feeds, feeds people's souls uh, yeah. in so many different ways and yeah. is the connective tissue of a community and, and a culture and, uh, and a society. So, so it, it's important work that you do. And let me ask you this when you, you, because you're, you are so positive and so effusive and so enthusiastic how are the kids that are sitting in front of you? What is their sense? Are they, are they kind of just in another, in another world about it where, Hey, what, you know, this, this too shall pass or what, what is their, 
what is their current status? Uh, I think and, a, is it, are they too young to even care? Um, you know, I think it's a combination. I, I, I luckily out of my students haven't come up against somebody who's felt like that the end of the world is brewing for them. I think they, they realize they're still young and they're burgeoning, but also that they're seeing signs of getting over this hurdle that we've had. Um, and you know, because of vaccines or whatever indicators you want to put out there. And so because of that, I feel like you know, they've dealt with so much and, and, and their lives are so different than when I was their age as well, that we're kind of in the mediary there where I feel like they realize it's not going to last forever. And they've kind of gone through maybe hopefully the, the hardest part of it because some of them are, are working in the industry. And, you know, again, they open up the dining rooms again. So 25%. So I asked them like, you know, a week, I was like, it was like two weeks ago that they're like, Hey, I'm working again, Jeff, you know, I'm, I'm back in, I'm back in the kitchens and, you know, some of them are working on like spaghetti factories, cheesecake factories, pizza places, steakhouses. And so they're starting to see at all levels that it's quote opening up again and the jobs that they had, they're needed again because maybe they were cut off when there was only to go. And now that there's in, uh, in-house dining, even at, at 25%, um, they're starting to get some hours again. And I think they see that. Right. Um, and so therefore they're seeing it, you know, open up for them again so they can get the hours they need to and, and kind of grow from there. Because again, they only have limited hours they can can work anyways, but seeing that some of them might graduate, hey, summertime might be a full-time gig coming out for me as things start to open up a little bit. So I think with those parameters, they they feel like there's um, there's potential on the horizon for them. Well, Chef Chris Starkis, I think that any kid that is lucky enough to sit in your class is truly lucky. <laughs> uh, truly you. lucky. I mean, uh, and I say that, I say that with a ton of admiration and respect because uh, these, uh, these kids are the, are the future of hospitality, whatever path they choose to go down. Yeah. And, and it could be hospitality in the formal sense, as you said, yeah. I think you gave a great description or it's hospitality and just make, make, making a meal for their, their siblings, mom and dad, their friends, yeah. their roommates, whatever, just understanding that. And of course, if they get a sense of that, respect for the career and a respect for everything that goes into it, then job well done, man. I want to thank you for, yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you for hanging with me today. And I'm hoping, I mean, there's so much more to discuss with you <laughs> and I'm hoping that you might be open to maybe doing this another, another time or absolutely. two, if, if that's okay. And we can talk about your, your new venture with uh, relatively new venture with Boston Frost and yep. your passion for the environment and sustainability, which is so freaking important and needs to be uh, needs to be a part of the discussion always. So, uh, Chef Chris Darkus, thanks so much for today. I truly enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Jeff. Absolutely, I would love to. And uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. It's always great to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed this visit with Chef Chris Starkus. Just a wonderful guy. We were colleagues together for a hospitality company, and he was and is an inspiring leader, teacher, innovator. Chris has a startup that he's involved in that has to do with sustainability and water reuse called Boston Frost, and we'll get Chris back to talk about that next time. So thank you so much for joining us today. Come back and hang out with us again. Until then, stay safe. And of course, No Bed of Roses is available wherever you find fine podcasts. Thanks and see you soon.